0: This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. In 2005, singer Will Oldham and guitarist Matt Sweeney released the Superwolf album, which has developed a cult following that includes Rick Rubin, who absolutely fell in love with the project. Now, 16 years later, they're back with the follow-up Superwolves,
1: other folks will make mistakes and leave you with a mess. Other folks have ways of walking past, but you know best. They're lost to begin
0: with. This new album was five years in the making, a leisurely pace that allowed Oldham and Sweeney to be incredibly intentional with their creative choices. Oldham, who's recorded under a number of different monikers in the past, including Bonnie Prince Billy, wrote all of the lyrics before sending them over to Sweeney to write his guitar parts. The duo also added a new flavor, tapping the West African musician M.D. Mokhtar to play guitar on a few tracks. On today's episode, Rick Rubin talks to Oldham and Sweeney about their work together, which Rick considers some of his favorite contemporary music, and it's also why he's used Sweeney on a lot of the sessions he's produced, including the Dixie Chicks, Cat Stevens, and Adele. Will Oldham talks about his philosophy on connecting with his audience and how if this pandemic were to take us all, Superwolves would be a great album to go out on. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Rick Rubin with Will Oldham and Matt Sweeney.
2: How are we being graced with a new... Superwolf Project. All this time since the last one.
3: Matt and I thought it, it could be a good idea. We didn't think about it till till too late, but it could be a good idea to get up to speed with uh, your conversational style in this in this forum. So, I was listening a little bit earlier today to uh, a conversation that you were having with Adam Cohen. You were saying that there's you just can't control it. You can't control. He says specifically that a record isn't a fait accompli, and he has a beautiful little French Canadian accent when he <laughs> says it. And and he you know and he goes on to say even with the right songs and the right producer and the right blah blah blah, you know you can't guarantee. And you say, yeah, you can't. There's no, and I, and I feel like if you just do something like take your time, you can kind of get close to guaranteeing it. So to answer your question, we just took a little bit of time. We wanted to make a good record as as you've probably experienced most records that you probably feel strongly about whether you participated in them or not something did just happen of course that made them specifically rise above the other records but having been aware of that if you have the, the leisure because you're doing other things to build something slowly and just be sure that you only act when the charge is there
2: absolutely would you say in the writing process do you consider the audience or not not at all?
3: Yeah, no it's it's all about the audience. Like entirely. Yeah, the whole reason to sit down and write is for the audience.
2: Interesting. It's probably less than 50/50 that that would be the answer to people who write songs.
3: Yeah, you never hear people say that. I feel like Chuck Berry is the kind of person who would say it. He would be 100%. a little more he would be a little colder in the way that he phrased it, but but if you read about him talking Earlier in his career, he's less less harsh, but yeah, people don't say that. I, ha- I
2: had a revelation re- recently that I'll share with you, which is I've always worked towards this idea of greatness, and I didn't know what greatness was, but it, but that was the feeling. It's like it's not it's not about selling a lot. It's not about making anybody else like it. It's about it has to be great. It has to be great in a way where it stands up to the test of time and it's forever. And it, it's like the the um, the bar was higher. And recently. I've come to realize that actually we're making art as an offering to God. And if you're making art for God, there are no shortcuts to take. There are no low vibration energies involved in the process. It's like, that's the, that's what we're really aiming for is this, um, a sharing on a different plane, really.
3: I like to think that in what we do, or at least what I do, the offering is not the work the offering is the connection made between the work and the audience you know my mother was a visual artist nobody ever saw her visual art it's it's great but she i would maybe say that those could be considered offerings to god because they weren't shared with anybody so in and of themselves that's what they were but because our labor goes to making a connection you know you're you're asking for an audience in, you know for to have any degree of success whether it's financial or spiritual or artistic there does need to be some sort of a connection to a, a recipient. And so the, the, that, the connection itself, building a, a connection that you, that you feel that is, that is sturdy or beautiful or complex, that, that that's the offering that you're... Rather than the piece itself or rather... Yeah, rather than the piece itself.
2: I've noticed, at least in the context of Superwolf, particularly the first album, there, there are lyrics that I find they pull me in emotionally... And then there'll be, I'll call them surprises, certain landmines lyrically that that you might not be expected in a song that sounds like these songs sound. Intentional, unintentional?
3: Definitely intentional. I wish I could pull examples from from my brain. I can think of songwriters like um, John Prine or Bob McDill who wrote a lot of songs that Don Williams ended up playing where do you know don williams music at mm-hmm. all where, a little bit. you know you know good old boys like me that song uh where he says you know uh you know something uh, i ran with the kids down this a kid down the street who you know got himself something like burned up on bourbon and speed and of course in in the chorus when he says those williams boys and he says hank in tennessee and it, it still is always like something to marvel at it's still a surprise and it and it keeps me coming back the you know that song sounds like something you turn it on and it it sounds exactly like what it sounds like and then lyrically he keeps confounding the sound of the song i don't know i feel all of a sudden i know i'm at home here it's not you know this is where i belong i belong in this thing that's a little more convoluted or labyrinthine than but it's very friendly to it's very open and loving and because it sounds like something that you love right away but if it only was something simple like that, like a Farrah Fawcett poster or something, you you know, you know would lose interest after a little while. Instead, it has a little bit of creepiness or a little bit of gore in there that that keeps you on your toes. And remembering that when the song starts again, you have the sense memory of, this sounds pretty good, but it's actually even better than it sounds, because the lyrics are going to take me someplace that the music is, is belying. Great.
2: Do you do songs typically start with a concept or a lyric? What's your way in typically?
3: I, I like these days. I like triggers. For the past few years, my wife has done something for me, which I need to get her to do again. Uh, is I put a piece of paper on the wall, and every day I just ask her to write a song title on that piece of paper, and then that just gives me something to sit down and stay in shape with and every once in a while something like you know, i think the song my blue suit uh that it's on this new record it was a was a elsa title song where she just wrote my blue suit but then then there's also there's three songs on this record where I, I i i think up at the end of the street there was a bookstore and the the guy who the guy would be able to buy overstock um, there was a buyer who bought Overstock and he curated his Overstock, you know, super discount new book selection amazingly. And he, he put on the table one day this uh, book called Falkland Road, which is about Mumbai uh, Red Light District. And it's just kind of one picture per two pages um and then a little maybe a sentence or two sentences or three sentences that could be a, a quote from an interview with one of the people who's in the photograph. And there's three songs from this record that that came like and, and I was just sharing those with because I hadn't shown them to Matt until just like yesterday, right, Matt?
4: Well, you hadn't shown them like that. I'd seen that photo, be- the first photo, fo- the Good to My Girls photo. I know I'd seen Good that before. Good to My Girls, yeah. yeah. I'd seen that just at your house, I guess, sitting around or something. Is that, I mean, right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And Rick, I almost sent you these pictures as, as, as pre production, but then I said, fuck, pre production. But uh, I thought that that was a really fascinating way in and kind of an insight into how Will
2: writes words, which is, you know, like you look at a photograph, for example. Do you mind if we listen to a song? Can we listen to Good to My Girls?
3: Yeah, Good to My Girls, yeah.
1: almost less than all that's in the world and my existence is okay i guess because i'm good A share of life and earth and day.
2: they may cry beautiful song
3: thanks rick so the so, so so the line that the that the uh woman says is i'm good to my girls i take them to the movies once a month business is bad now but i still buy good food i spent 750 rupees for clothes for christmas
2: when i heard the song i thought for sure it was an autobiographical song
3: Well, it is. That's the thing.
2: I thought it would, but I thought it was. (laughs) I thought it was you talking about your wife. I assumed you had either a daughter or more than one, and you were talking about being good to your girls. And then you get to the hard part, and that's more like um, self-reflection, concerns you have about yourself might not even be true. More like uh, obsessive thoughts of not being good enough. It's just interesting. Like that—that's what I heard. is like, oh, it's, this is this one's really about
3: him. Well, I mean, there's no other source from which to, to truly draw to get a, you know, a multi-dimensional lyric, so that it comes from. You know, that's the that's the idea is that it comes uh, and, and triangulating. I can triangulate. You triangulate with this madam in order to make something that I can sing, hopefully, again and again and again and again and again and again, and still engage. And then also an audience member can hear it again and again and again, and it comes from you know documenting a shared experience rather than a unique experience
2: what would be other lyrical influences for you historically
3: danzig danzig we've talked about this rick but danzig yeah i mean danzig huge i mean he's huge and and still like i understand that he was you know virtually a child when he wrote a lot of the you know the lyrics that he wrote in the 80s and yet i get so excited by the potential energy that's wound up in his lyrics are just so incredible and so beautiful that I always think, well, that's something to continue to aspire to because if it, you know, too many writers write better as children than they do as adults, which is, I think a s an absolute sin uh, that it's allowed to happen, you know, that the songwriters themselves allow it to happen and that people in the world allow it to happen as well, that, they, that we don't ask more of our senior lyricists or senior singers expect more from them rather than oh this is as good you know or comparing them to the past yeah talking we're talking about all this stuff it, can can you devote like 35 to 40 seconds of, uh, around the phenomenon of of, of uh, Glenn Danzig writing the song for Roy Orbison
2: sure um I had an opportunity to do a song with Roy Orbison and I could find you know I could cast any writer and I knew that Glenn loved Roy and I knew that he wrote great songs and I knew that he would write a different song than anyone else who might write a song for Roy Orbison would write and I wanted to hear what that was and he wrote he wrote the song he wrote and we went and we played it yeah. for Roy me Glenn and Roy I remember we went to Roy's house in Malibu and Glenn played him the song and he loved did it did Glenn just play it live for him like played I, it with a guitar I think so I think he did. Yeah. I can't really remember, but I think he did. Yeah. And then so sick. and he's like, "Okay, I'm in. Let's do it."
3: Yeah. But that takes a lot of I mean, that's a nice beautiful complicated relationship to voice and melody and connecting to artists who are makes so much sense. And, and and also Glenn's song on the First American record is that's I think it's my favorite song on the um cuz he's so good. He's so brilliant at uh but but knowing and you have to understand. You have to have a pretty deep understanding of what a lyric is, Rick, to to risk to take that risk to know that it's a it's a risk that's going to pay off because most people would would laugh at you. You know, I wouldn't laugh. You know, when we were when we were kids and we heard this legend that that Glenn had just you know was working with Roy Orbison. We you know it took us a year before it we, we realized it was the truth. It sounded so ridiculously far fetched and perfect. Um, but you had to have an understanding of like, oh, well, this guy understands how to build a song lyrically as well as melodically. And he probably studied under these masters. And so I can put him in the same room with these guys and everything's going to be just fine. It's
2: also interesting. This leads back to something we were talking about earlier about people doing great work when they're young. The, we had the, we had the elder statesman in Roy who could still do what Roy does and we had the the performatively the performatively yeah. and we had the young energy of yeah. of Glenn Danzig like prime songwriting and it it yeah. it and and I guess you could say the same thing's true for Trent Reznor and Hurt with with Johnny it's like even though when Johnny sings it it sounds like he wrote it it sounds like he's he's telling his story but the fact that it's written by you know a 22-year-old kid in his bedroom it's just fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating how that yeah. works. Yeah. Or
4: I see a darkness <laughs> in Johnny Cash. Yeah. <laughs> Same deal. Same deal. Yeah. I, I I wanted to I wanted to, now that I I've, I've always wanted to see the two of you guys together and and ask about that that scenario which, which was uh, Rick I saw you at a party I, I just gotten back from a, tour, a European tour with Will and we had an, a bonus show in New York and I knew that you had you had been in contact with. You you would ask for some Will records because you were work, working with Johnny Cash, you were interested in in him checking out Will's music. I, I I had that intel, so I went up to you, invited you to the show, and you and you were enthusiastic, and you went to the show, and then you guys could take over from there, just about how it came to pass that Johnny Cash ended up doing one of Will's
2: songs. Well, I didn't remember what what you just. I didn't remember meeting you at a party. Yeah. I didn't remember coming to the show, although I did remember seeing you in New York uh will at, um where was it howry ballroom yeah, and it was it was a mesmerizing show it was a mesmerizing show it was a mind blowing show
3: and and that's where and then I think that's where I think that's where you yeah you said that you all had cut the song and and were you know and you 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 said if I wanted to come out and or come to a session and play the piano part on it that 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 was something that was needed for the song and 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 I agreed and we exchanged numbers. And then a couple of days later, I, I called you and left a message admitting that I didn't know how to play the piano and asking <laughs> if I could, I, I think I said just that I had no expectations, but the only, if there was any way that I could be around John and June for, for any moments because they were, you know, together and separately heroes. And And it's so rare, you know, because of so many bizarre communication and other logistical walls, it's so rare for younger musicians to have access to their heroes. And so here's this little crack. And I was just like, if I could, you know, yeah, you, you, I had your ear. And if I could, if I could just sit and watch them do something working and you were kind enough to say, yeah,
5: okay.
0: We'll be right back with more from Will Oldham and Matt Sweeney.
5: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day.
0: audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution one woman one time one place the boar's nest sue brewer and the birth of outlaw country music listen
6: now at audible.com slash the boar's nest snag a job is where america goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? SnagAjob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text Snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. SnagAjob.com, where America goes to hire.
0: We're back with Rick Rubin, Will Oldham, and Matt Sweeney.
4: How did you guys meet? On the street uh through, via our friend Britt walford the drummer from slint
3: and Brit, and Britt and I grew up put together yeah but it, it was it, it was it was when like the the I see a darkness record we we i w- my brother and some other musicians and i had started a a small a smaller record label than drag city um to put out a, a few records including I see a darkness and and since we were in many ways starting from scratch i i moved to the big city to uh you know get a to hire hire a publicist and just to be more present for the the delivery of this record than uh, because I just knew I, I needed to be just to figure out well, how do you put a record out and and so I was in in New York, and that's when we we started to become friends.
2: Tell me about the um the choice of recording under different names
3: For a long time, I thought you know records why not file them under the title of the record? because they are such, you know, oftentimes such different and distinct entities. Um, and they, you know, it can be completely, like it could be the same artist, but there's no, nobody else except for the artist, the art, you know, quote unquote artist, that's the same from another record. So why not just say it's a record, it's this record. And so for just a, a few years in the 90s and in, in when I was trying to figure out what it was to make music and write songs and make records, just thought, uh, well, I don't, you know, for me, I just want to make records. I don't want to create a, an artist persona or an artist name or a band or anything like that. I just want to make a record, you know, keep making records and thought, well, if I modify the name a little bit just to reflect that you should be focusing on the record and not on anything else, it turned out, you know, I learned in a few years, just the model was too foreign to how things work and, and people started to, you know... So, say, well, what's up with the names? And it's like, no, no, that was the opposite. You know, it's, you know, so I realized like, oh, well, just come up with a name and then forget about it. So just came up with the name Bonnie Prince Billy and just, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a way for distributors and, you know, streaming services to, you know, organize things.
2: From the outside, it seemed like you were doing whatever you could to have people not find your work. That's what it seemed Uh like. I never it just like like why well, I guess he doesn't want us to hear it because well,
3: want want people to find it not based on a name. Yeah. You know, based on you know, based on do you oh, hearing it on the radio or a friend saying, "I like this song. Do you like this song?" "Yes, I like this song." And not like, "Oh, I'm so into fucking, you know, whatever, the birthday party." It's like, "Okay." <laughs> that's cool
2: that's that said i'm
3: so into yeah. the birthday or i'm so into the rolling stones and you just be like okay well you know yeah bridges to babylon insane record dude but you know yeah so so just you know have it be as much about the music as possible that was that was it and just have it not be as you know as little bullshit as possible so that when you go to play shows you know you don't have a bunch of you know people who don't care where they are they care where they are they you know you have a room yeah. full of good it's energy a,
2: it's a wild choice
4: you know, Rick. Uh, I so so when I met when I met Will. So we had a friendship through our friend Britt, But then in the office, I asked him the same question because he had just made this record called of Darkness" and he was calling himself Bonnie Prince Billy. And so I remember, like, I was actually sitting behind a desk and I was like, "Dude, why are you calling it Bonnie Prince Billy?" And I remember Will, you go, "I'm trying to alienate my
3: fan base." <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Yeah. yeah. No, it didn't work. <laughs> Because I was kidding. You know, because the opposite happened. I mean, the idea is just like, yeah. so that now yeah. I can still, we can, you know, we can go play shows and I can, I can look forward to meeting people, which I do. Yeah.
4: Because, because there was a consistency.
3: Because people are there, not because of, you know, whatever. They're, they're there because they, they're anticipating that they may witness some music that's going to do something for them.
2: Do you remember when you each heard the other one for the first time?
4: Yeah, I had I knew Will's recorded music and I'd seen him play live. But yeah, the first I mean again, it happened really quickly. Like Will came over to where me and Britt were saying and I had a guitar and I was dicking around on it and Will said, Oh, that sounds really good. <laughs> and uh and then we were recording a few days later.
2: Recording a few days later for w- for what?
3: There's a French film director named Bertrand Bonello and he had made a uh he was weight making a movie called Kelka Shows d'Organique and he wanted to uh I think he wanted to license a song that that I had recorded, and I said I don't like to license songs, but if you would consider commissioning a song, I'd like to you know I'd love to write a song, you know, and you know, if you have the time to do that, and and he he bit, so he you know I, I told me the story and gave me gave us a time frame, and that's right when Matt picked up his guitar and I was working on this song and just said I'm supposed to record this song sometime in the next couple of weeks are you down
4: and it was interesting it was it was kind of around the time that i had i, f- I feel like turned a corner on guitar and i could sort of confidently finger pick and and I, I had kind of made a leap in playing guitar come to think of it actually like like i i had sort of gotten finger picking down right when i met you will
3: yeah it felt it felt new to you like you were really writing it yeah it was really exciting matt what had you done
2: already in music at this point when you met will
4: I had done, uh, I had, when I met Will, was, I, I had already done Chavez, which was my 90s rock band, which still maybe we'll play again. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so I had done that and it had been slowing down. Uh, the, the other band members were moving on with their lives and stuff. So So I was, I actually had some time and was sort of in a space of, Uh, not having my regular band to play with. And I sang for that band and that band was very much of a, uh, collaborative kind of thing. And then all of a sudden I kind of didn't have as much to do and I'd been finger picking and stuff and it was, it was fortuitous that I met like a good singer who was, who shared a lot of the same uh, tastes in music that I did and whose songs I liked, which is will.
2: And you played and sang
3: me. Yeah. I didn't know that you sang. Come on, dude. Had no idea. You didn't really had no idea. I had a really exciting moment, Rick. I was opening on a tour for Bjork and there was a couple of days off and I wanted to see, and we were in, in the New York area. So I went out to Montauk because uh, I wanted to see it. I'd never been there. And, you know, got a motel room and I went to the gas station. They had DVDs for rent and I rented a DVD to watch a movie in my little motel room. And it's it's a movie about, it's a sort of a comedy, a meth comedy, a, you know, a crystal meth comedy called Spun. And I just put it on and this, you know, the opening song comes on. It's really cool sounding. It sounds fucking great, and just the music sounds great. And then, uh, and it's guitars. And then this voice comes on, and I'm like, ah, oh, I know this voice. I know that it's this song's so cool. It's so good. It's so effective. I know this voice, but I couldn't figure out what it was, and I had to wait to the end credits. And it turns out it was Sweeney singing a cover of uh, uh Iron Maiden's "Number of the Beast." with the sort of acoustic version of the Zwan band that, that he was a part of back the, in the early 2000s.
2: Amazing.
3: Yeah. Was it just the two of you?
4: It was just me playing guitar and Corrigan kind of licking, yeah.
3: Yeah. It's really a sweet, sweet-sounding song, and, and, the, and the vocals are awesome. So as soon as that, that, you know, discontinued, the first thing that I think either of us did musically when Zwan ended was get together and make the Superwolf record.
2: Wow. Yeah.
4: Yeah. What, what had happened was, uh, the, yeah, the one stopped playing kind of in the middle of a tour. All of a sudden I was back in New York and Will wrote and said, hey, I have a show. I have a solo show booked at a big venue in London. Would you want to maybe come and, you know, I'll come over there and you could play a couple of songs and stuff. And there was a tacit understanding that I was kind of screwed, I think, on, on Will's part. So it was, it was a nice offer for just for something to, for me to and do. And then and I said, yes. And then he wrote and, and the email, He wrote an email and said, challenge. And he said, hey, how about I send you some lyrics and you write some songs and we play them at that show. So I said, OK. And so then he sent the lyrics to.
3: What are you, Beast for thee and Bed is for sleeping?
4: Yeah. And so, so, so that was the beginning of Super Bowl. So I have these lyrics, you know, and, and I have to write a song to play in front of like 3,000 people in London <laughs> in like a month or something like that.
2: Um, Unbelievable.
4: And it's a challenge when somebody says that. It's t- it's kind of terrifying, you know what I mean. But then at the same time, it made me respond, you know, and getting these incredible lyrics, and then being like, "Holy shit! I ha- this guy thinks I'm good
2: enough to do this." And then that made me do good work. Do you guys mind if we listen to the Beast in Me? A beast for thee. I'm sorry, wrong song.
3: Let's do it.
1: Why aren't you kind to me? You could so easily take me in your arms and see.
2: Hearing that, it just makes me wonder: Why do you guys ever make music apart?
3: <laughs> In order to make that, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. the the joy of collaboration is is comes from accessing somebody else's world, and if the if if you're already fully full time accessing that person's world, it you, you know it's. The joy is, yeah, going out and doing things and then coming back together and, and coming saying, back. this is what I got. Oh, yeah, well, this is what I got. Oh, no, you also have this. Amazing. Yeah, for
4: sure. Like, I was thinking when I was listening to that, I was like, God, it, it really is cool how, how this music sounds, the the record that, that, that's coming out sounds like this record that's 16 years old. Like, it just, it's all one thing. But I was thinking that, the reason that this record, that the new record is good, has a lot to do with experiences that I had with you, Rick. Just as far as like being thrown so many curveballs in in high pressure situations, you know, what <laughs> I mean? like I mean, dude, I had no idea what I was doing. I, I, I told you the first time that I met you, Rick. I was like, I was like, thanks. I don't know what I'm. What do I do? I don't know what I'm doing. And and you had you had this really empowering line, you know. I, I was like, so this is we were recording johnny cash songs we were recording just to a click track and johnny cash's voice and it's tom petty's band and i'm the new guy <laughs> and it's tom petty's band plus Smokey hormel who is like the world's greatest guitar player and then it's me and i'd and rick had invited me into this into this group and <laughs> I, I and and i you know i was like like do i like just make up stuff like what i would do normally like just kind of make up stuff like what if that's not appropriate and and you go <laughs> and rick says you're isolated. We could just hit a race.
1: Did <laughs> <laughs> I
4: really
2: say that? like? Yes. <laughs> really funny.
4: But what was so great? It was a great thing because I was like, it totally made
2: yeah you fun. Know, It made me feel have really, fun. really free. 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 And
4: also, I, I think you, I, I think you said, you know, I think you said, you know, you do you, you're like do what you want to do. You're isolated. We could always hit a race, and then yeah. you kind of gave a devilish smile. Um, but like, that was a really big deal. <laughs> you know, just even that was like, all right, you know, like. I definitely felt like go- going back in with Will was like okay, I could I could get to where we need to go quicker, and I and I feel way more sure-footed and stuff. And also, I'm really grateful that I had the time to be to stumble around in the dark and be terrified and and have all these experiences that led. Like I can't sound the way that I sound that I sound now without having all this crazy, you know face plants and successes and and just g- general uh, high-wire terror that, 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 that you provided me with. So, so thanks.
2: Well, the, re- the reason you were there was to do what you do. That's the only, like, if it was just to have someone play guitar, there's a lot of people who play guitar, but I wanted Matt Sweeney to play guitar, and the only reason you want Matt Sweeney to play guitar is because he plays like Matt Sweeney. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it's so cool how Matt Sweeney plays like Matt Sweeney
2: just like him' it's, it's amazing <laughs> it's, so ex- it's ridiculous.
3: exciting to be in the recording studio and to hear you know to, and to hear it you know going down on tape or what what, what passes for tape right now It's just to, to hear it and just think wow there it is it's right there. It's really right funny that
2: you're uh, you had that moment renting a DVD and hearing a voice and wondering who it yeah. was and it being Matt and me yeah. listening to the Superwolf album and hearing that guitar and going who is that and both of us came to Matt in 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 it's interesting that like for you the vocal was the spark for me the guitar was the spark but it definitely came from not knowing what we were listening to to like whoa this and to to hear something that you don't know what it is and to care enough about finding what it is is a really big deal. That doesn't happen. Yeah, really it doesn't happen so often, especially in the pre-Shazam days. It was really uh yeah. a job to make that happen.
3: Now I was ta- I was talking to someone about the first time I heard the uh Sean Marshall Cat Power, and, and it was on the radio in Virginia somewhere, and it was a, a woman singing this exploded deconstructed version of Hank Williams, I can't help it if I'm still in love with you. And it took oh, me so months, months of asking people. Do you know, I heard this song. You didn't? You know, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And they would give me these stupid ideas of who it could have been. No, 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 no. You don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's this crazy thing. It's, you know, and it, months. Yeah, yeah. And now it is a little easier.
0: We'll be back after a quick break with Will Oldham and Matt Sweeney. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christofferson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? One woman, one time, one place. The Boars Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boars Nest.
6: Snag a Job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over six million active hourly workers, job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
0: We're back with the rest of Rick Rubin's conversation with Will Oldham and Matt Sweeney. But before we jump back in, let's hear some of their new song, My Popsicle.
1: We crawl towards a warmthless light Towards a wild and endless night My power dark and wild and frightening to a guileless child my
2: The the music you guys make is I could literally listen to it forever. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's like, it, it I might like listening to your music more than any other music. So unbe- it really is ridiculous. What it how it I feel like I'm the audience. You're making it for me.
3: It's it is ridiculous. Uh, it's I mean it's ridiculous, but I, I think I, I think that some of that is. You know, when we were, when we had this sequenced and then mastered, my brother Paul mastered it. And my wife and I, you know, one evening were ready to listen to the master and and listen to it all the way through. And in the, throughout the record, I was listening to it. I was crying sometimes and I was laughing a whole lot. And, you know, my wife asked, you know, she's like, why are you laughing? And And it's hard to fully explain, but part of it is Gratitude for the way that it came together because it ended up coming together in such a way that it is a, the things that records have done for me is not something that's easy to find. I just, it felt good to, yeah, to have participated in making a record that has this kind of content, uh, musical and lyrical content, and that it's worth sitting with it song after song and and I think I kept laughing because I would remember where I was in the record and think, oh, this part still hasn't happened. and I feel like this and this part is still going to happen. and I feel like this, it's been a long time since I've been carried away uh, by a new record, I guess. It, it's funny in this year, this crazy year where, where where everyone's perception is so 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 different, but but just feeling like, wow, it's not a bad record to, you know, if if the plague takes us, you know, I'm, I feel okay about this being the record that we ended things with. It's
2: really a beauty. It's a beauty.
3: Thank you,
5: Rick.
2: Anything different in the process between making this album and the first album 16 years ago? Yeah.
4: We had a Tuareg band. On the Superwolf record, the only outside musician is Pete, right?
5: Yeah, yeah.
4: It's Pete Townsend, the drummer. You know, so it was it was that, it was Insular. And then with this one, which is pretty interesting, that the, the way that this record got kickstarted was was Will and I had done a recording session with Mdu Mokhtar, who Rick, have you checked him out yet?
1: Uh-uh.
4: Oh my god, you're gonna fucking lose your mind. Okay, so Mdu Moktar is a Tuareg guy like like to know when he's he's from He's from Niger, yeah. Yeah, he, he's from Niger Niger, he's from the desert and he He's an explosive, mind-blowing musician, and uh, we got a chance to to use him and his band on a song that Will and I had already written, and the song was actually, like, had a lot of parts and a lot of this and that to it, and these guys nailed it, which is pretty wild because they're not, like, trained musicians, They and they, they play a very specific style, but because we had such an incredible connection with these guys, and particularly, like, that they seemed to actually vibe. I mean, they clearly vibed with how Will sang and how I played guitar. Like, we we meshed, and that was exciting and definitely exciting enough for uh, because Will and I had already been exchanging writing songs with the idea of recording. But this was enough to, for Will to be like, Well, I guess we should probably use them as a band, you know, uh, tr- you know, try writing like maybe that should be that's, that's the way we start the Super Bowl record, just like use this mind-blowing band and see what happens. And so we did
3: yeah we had, we, had a, we, had a, we had a fantastic recording session with them on another, on another unrelated song and or everybody everybody at the end of the day, you know it's one of those days in the recording studio where everybody's glowing at the end of the day and you just think w- we'd like to do this again sometime. Oh yeah, we would too. let's do it again you know so it was just up to when when they were going to come back to the United States of America and when they did, you know we said, well, if you've got a few extra days in New York, can we book a session and we'll go back in and do more. And then, so we knew we, had to get, we knew we had to get our act together by then, yeah.
4: Yeah, and, and the songs that we recorded in that session, uh, one was a composition that came together with all of us in a room, which is also, like, very, very, very
3: different than
4: everything else, um, uh, which is...
3: Everything. Yeah, every, so, yeah, every, every, like, the night before the session, you know, the afternoon before the session, the song didn't exist in any way, shape, or form. And then that, that night, we all got together in an apartment and everything, all of the music, all of the lyrics, all the melodies, everything came together that night and then we tracked it. The night. And as far
4: as like the power of like music connecting, uh, just they, it, where the, the town that they live in is a 28 hour bus ride to the nearest airport. Okay. <laughs> like, so like these guys are from a different place, you know? So, so, you know, the, the, the connection, it felt good, you know? And, and uh, so... Sure. We, we came up with the song together and then, then we also got to use them on songs that we had written before um so and and we we were pretty conscientious about what we were what what the other songs were you know like sort of taking advantage of using these musicians for for example uh the the song i'm a youth which is an irish traditional a traditional irish song
3: well again addressing the differences between the 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 you yeah, know mdus on that but the first record we did it you know, we spent probably up to a year putting the songs together. Then we went in and for a week tracked and mixed uh, in Shelbyville, Kentucky, one session, the two of us, my brother, Paul Engineering, our friend Pete playing drums. This time, you know, we wrote over the course of five years and did it in two sessions, one in New York, and then the other in in Nashville with Ferg, and then the M.D. Mokhtar Ensemble playing on the New York thing. So those are the significant differences in, in how the record itself was, the two records were made.
4: So check out Hall of Death. I mean, as far as like, a, it just as an example, this is what happened when we got together with these gentlemen from a, from a very different place.
3: You know, we we put this song out as, as a single a couple few weeks ago, right? And and people have talked about it and there's been a positive response to it, right? right? Um ha- there's been as far as anything that I've heard from anybody, I, I haven't heard Word One mentioning the fact that there are lyrics to the song, much less what the lyrics are. You know, in general, it's interesting that people don't really listen to lyrics you know, most people will say, I don't even listen to the lyrics. You know, that's, that's what streaming, the streaming model is built around is is the people not listening to lyrics. Like when we made the song in the recording studio, we made the song, we, we, we tracked it all live, except for the, the lead, uh, guitar. And that was, that's MDU's guitar. Uh, and for some reason, I can't remember if he was, I think he, maybe he had a, he had, a friend of his had like died in a automobile accident in Africa. And so he was on the phone and, and, you know, he was so overwhelmed with grief, uh, he couldn't play with us so we played and then I think two days later we like you know would you play on this song and and he's he's sitting there t- to go into play and uh we're all sitting there I'm sitting on the floor at his feet and Matt says well you know to help him do why don't you will? why don't you explain you know what the song is about and I'm taken aback because you know I didn't have this I wrote the lyrics on three days before and So I didn't filter anything, you know, and, and it's essentially just about the horror and desperation of, of years of having, of of my mom living in, you know, being incommunicado because of Alzheimer's disease and living in a nursing home and what it's like to go to her, you know, on a, on a extremely regular basis. And so, okay, I'll fucking explain these lyrics i'm not sure if it's going to help his guitar playing or not we'll see you know with this song because in the past steam will like be like hey the song's about this so, so
4: so go like that you know like like i've seen i've seen him give that direction or i had seen him go that direction before so yeah yeah yeah. i'm thinking and also i'm kind of curious because all i know i think i knew i don't know if i really heard could hear any of the things because uh, any of the actual words i could hear the melody that he was singing but everything was live. We, were, we we recorded the song live. The vocal is live in a really loud room. You know, so so I did not know what the words were. So I figured, you know, and and you know, how is how is M. going to know what the words are anyway? So then Will says what the words are about,
3: and it's shocking, you know. And and it spurs a conversation then because M. begins to go into a tirade about how shitty Americans are to their elders, and you know. I have a similar sense, you know, like the horror of visiting my mom, you know, a huge part of the horror of visiting my mom in this place is is thinking like what brought circumstances, you know, what what brought this circumstance to happen that my mother that I am a responsible human being, a functioning fucking responsible human being and and I don't have it, you know, I can't live a life and also take care take care of her. And there's not a support system to take care of her, so that she can stay at home, you know. But, but he's, you know, basically like hammering everything that I felt shitty about in my life for the past five years, and just saying, you, you know, you suck, you fucking suck, because this is who you are, yeah. you know. That's what I'm hearing, you know. Yeah. So, you know, and then and then I, I eventually like have to leave. I'm so upset. I have to leave, and and this the session kind of falls apart that week. I don't sleep for days. Anyway, I I, I hear it as like one of the strengths I think of my working with with Matt is that he allows for a greater amount of vulnerability uh, in the in the lyric uh, and then also in the in the in the singing and i hear nothing but this horrific vulner- vulnerability in that song and so and it's also you know i hear the electricity of the excitement of our collaboration with the ensemble from Niger um but I, it it sits for me beautifully in the record because I, uh, you know, because it's, it's, you know, people, people say like, Oh, it's this propulsive rock song, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, to me, it's this, you know, really hard song about how we, what do you do about the fact that, you know, that you are of the guilty mistreating children in these death institutions, you know, these institutions that are built around, you know, allowing people to die ignored. Heavy jam yeah 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 heavy jam
2: anything else you guys feel like we should talk about anything that would be helpful or interesting
4: i think we did good you're really good at this rick
2: thank you so much for doing this thanks for having us
3: thank you lots of love
0: thanks to matt sweeney and will oldham for talking about their creative collaboration with rick To hear Super Wolves, along with our favorite Bonnie Prince Billy songs, head to BrokenRecordPodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash BrokenRecordPodcast, where you can find new and old episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Broken Record. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Martin Gonzalez, Eric Sandler, and Jennifer Sanchez. With engineering help from Nick Chafee, our executive producer is Mila Bell. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. And if you like the show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Peace.